Amen. Bless the Lord. When, when I was a young boy, uh, <coughs> or even, even now, I had these things. Oh, thank you, Sunday school. You can go to Sunday school. We, they had these things in um, magazines, in um, newspapers, two drawings and spot the difference. Anyone know those? Find the seven differences or ten differences. Um, <clears throat> I, like, I used to like doing those. I still like to look at them every now and again. Just, you know, you look at the picture, you try and figure out things. So this morning I thought I'd put a couple of things up to see if you can spot the difference. It's a little bit different. But, uh, Daniel, can you bring the first one up? I'm not sure how well you can see it. I apologize if it, the, the writing's not too good. But can you spot the difference there? It says, um, don't believe everything you read on the Internet just because there's a picture with a quote next to it, an Abraham Lincoln picture there next to that. Brother Donald, uh, I, I hope you don't mind. Uh, you're from America. Can you spot the difference? Is there something that's not quite right there? Abraham Lincoln didn't say that, but he's a, he's a, he was a respected, credible, accurate, uh, credible individual, wasn't he? He was, uh, he was alive about 150 years ago, I think. It was about 1860 or something. He was assassinated. Credible man, credible words, but those don't go together. Can you bring the next one up? I apologize for the writing on this one. This one's really hard to see, but this is for the teachers in the audience. It says there, Dear parents, that's the teacher there, if you promise not to believe everything your child says happens at school, I'll promise not to believe everything he says happens at home. Not everything is quiet as it seems. Can you bring the last next one up, Daniel? There we are. Don't believe everything you hear. There are always three sides to a story. There might be more. Yours, theirs, and the truth. The biblical principles are a little bit different. Or similar. First one up. The simple believers every word, but the prudent man looks well to his going. The simple believes, hears, sees, takes it in, doesn't recognize the difference. Something's not quite right. Something's in breach of. Is That person can be easily swayed. Carried about here and there. And taken advantage of. The prudent is cautious and doesn't believe just because someone says so and searches it out. That individual goes to the source to find out that that's the case or not. That's a proverb. Ah, by the way, proverbs. I, something I learned recently. <clears throat> you, you probably know this. Proverbs. Proverbs do not mean wise sayings. Proverbs mean to play side by side to have a contrast. And by having a side by side and having a contrast, you go, aha, that makes sense or that doesn't make sense. And therefore, that's wisdom. A proverb means to play side by side to see one compared to the other. What's the next one there, Daniel? The heart of him that has understanding seeks knowledge. To seek after knowledge is a sign of understanding. And the last one, please. 
Every prudent man deals with knowledge, but the fool lays open his folly. The prudent is not satisfied to deal with situations and people, whatever they see or take or is around them, or what someone says or people do around them. We can respond or we can react on just what we see, the superficial, or the surface information. But the prudent person looks beyond the superficial information before they act, they collect the information, and then they act. It takes a little bit of time, a little bit of patience. But it is a, the Bible says, a prudent response. Thank you, Daniel. These are principles, and we can pull out a few biblical examples. And I've pulled out three biblical examples of things where they're a little bit of a contrast. Something's a little bit different, and we'll go in reverse order. We'll look at the life of Apostle Paul, something that wasn't quite, didn't quite line up. Paul, we read in Acts 21, 26, 28, you don't have to pull it up. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself with them, he entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is that man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people. He's in the temple. He's in the synagogue. Keep in mind. He teaches against the law. He teaches against this very place. And further, he brought Greeks into the temple and has polluted this holy place. And all the city was moved. And the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and they shut the doors. Is this the picture? Is the picture as it seems? Or is there a spot the difference in the picture? Should we look a little bit deeper is there more to it than the obvious? When, when this event happened, Paul had just come back from his third missionary journey. He was on the road, not necessarily on the road, but he was around a lot, number of different countries and places for about three, three and a half years. He spent considerable time in a, in a today we call it, uh, they refer to it as Asia, uh, at that time, that's what they referred to as Asia. But today, that is the western part of Turkey. It's actually where Ephesus was, or still is. And um, when he came back from that missionary journey, he'd been teaching and preaching to Jews, to Gentiles, to Greeks, to Italians, to uh, all nationalities in between. And when he came back, people said, uh, the Jew said to him, "You know, we so that you are acknowledged, so that you are not seen as um, saying the wrong thing. But you are not. Do as we do. That is, purify yourself and go into the temple. So that's what he did. But when he was at the end of those seven days, following the the Jewish law and the example, it says the Jews which were of Asia, they're from that area that he was at." That area, which was the area of Ephesus, where Paul spent two years or so preaching. What happened in that, that, that place? Well, in the place of Ephesus, we read, um, 
that great miracles were brought by the hand of Paul. Last weekend we had Brother Trimble and he mentioned that example of that of those ladies that uh, were asked to come to church and bring a handkerchief. We read about that first that happened at Ephesus. And when they did that, when they laid handkerchiefs on people, they were healed. The situations were resolved. That's what happened in Ephesus. In Ephesus, when the people heard Paul preach and they had curious arts, they brought them and they burned them and they got rid of them. That's what happened at Ephesus. That's what happened in Asia, the Jews from Asia. In Ephesus, they heard Paul preach and they saw him heal, not heal people, but he prayed for people and they were healed. He, they saw him pray and people's lives were cleansed. And so the sons of the priest, who was a Jew, seven of them, said, we'll do the same. And they tried to cast out a devil from somebody. We remember that story is the son, seven sons of Siva. And then the devil turned to them and said, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, who you jumped on them. The whole region heard about that. I mean, this was the, this was the priest, the high priest's sons. This wasn't a hidden thing. This is what happened in Ephesus. This is what happened in Asia. There was a big temple there of a goddess called Diana. The whole city got very cross at Paul. And then eventually he left and he went to Greece and he ministered there. So when he came back to Jerusalem and he's in the temple and he's purified and he's doing all the right things, the Jews come out and say, this man stirs up all the people. They, the picture wasn't right. Something wasn't quite right there. And he's preaching against this place and he's polluted this temple. I don't know that many of the, it says all the city was moved. Now, that's probably a bit of a poetic license. I don't think there was people in the city who were Christians and who, because we're talking about Jerusalem. But most of the people came in as a bit of a mob and said, well, we've got to deal with this. How many of them actually knew the situation? How many of them delved a little bit deeper into say, oh, this is the troublemaker. Let's get rid of him. It says they wanted to get rid of him. They supposed, they did not check, they did not confirm, they didn't deal with knowledge. A little bit later when Paul comes to his defense and he is trying to explain what happened, he's given the opportunity, he says, and he came to pass, he's giving his background or how he came to the point where he was a minister. He says, and it came to pass when I was come to Jerusalem, going back in his life, you know, when Paul was a missionary, that was like 30 years, 30, 40 years after he was converted. Uh, maybe, sorry, the, his last missionary journey, journey was over 30 years after he was converted. So he's gone back in time. He says, and it came to pass when I came to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem. But they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Paul... Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, and I was consenting unto his death. 
And I kept the raiment of the clothes of those that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart. I will send you far unto the Gentiles. And they gave him audience, or they paid attention. They took note. He says, Unto this word. And then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. They were, the picture didn't seem right for them. He said, I'm going, he, Paul said, the Lord said to me, he's going to the Gentiles. At that point, it triggered something in them. Because we are Jews. We are God's chosen people. We are in the temple. This is, what's this Gentile thing? This guy's got to be wrong. There's something wrong with this picture. But actually, the picture was something wrong with, on their side, not with Paul's side. Again, there was a supposition, something they didn't check, didn't confirm, and didn't deal with knowledge. We'll go, back, we'll go to Stephen, Stephen, where Paul mentioned. In Acts chapter 6, we read, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, again the Jews, and they were not able to resi resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. What he said, the way he presented it, they had no recourse against that. And they suburned, that means they collected men, <clears throat> which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words and words against Moses. Can't speak against Moses. Moses, the whole thing in our history, we as Jews, I'm not talking about, we go back, the whole thing started with Moses. We hold him in high regard, and that's that's okay. But we heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. Something's wrong with this picture. <clears throat> Which said, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. Again, a little bit later when, Paul, when uh, Stephen is giving his defense, he's responding. He says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? Hang on. God gives prophets. Prophets are God's spokespeople. They speak God's ways. And you're persecuting prophets? Is there something wrong with this picture? And they, and, and they have slain the prophets of whom... Uh, and they have slain them which have showed before of the coming of the just one and of whom you have been now the betrayers. And the murderers, he's talking about what they did to Jesus. Who have received by law the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Again, there was a moment, something changed. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. And then that was the beginning, that was the end of Stephen. He was uh, martyred, he was uh, killed by stoning because that was the right thing to do according to the mosaic law when someone is doing that but there was something wrong with that picture final example <clears throat> before going a little bit deeper 
going to Jesus. And it, it, as it came time for Jesus to be handed over to the Romans, it was time just before his death, he was accused, and we read he held his peace, and he answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. The point. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, Do we need any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. We have a law, and according to the law he should die. What do you think? He's right. The priest is looking back at the Mosaic law. Moses, who they hold in high regard. And God, through Moses, said to them, around about the time they received the law, and keeping in mind, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are all known as the law. All of it is the law. All of it. Not just Leviticus. Not just Genesis. But they reach back to that part, and where it's, where the Lord says through Moses, and he that blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And the congregation shall stone him. And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. It's true. Whosoever falsely pretended to be son of God was to be, was guilty. But the picture wasn't right. They distorted. They misrepresented the law God's word, what Moses has said. Because they wanted to make that an instrument, they wanted to justify, they wanted to excuse, they wanted to make that a reason to get rid of Jesus. Is there something not right with the picture? You know, in Deuteronomy, which is also the law, which is also given by Moses, it says... I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. This is God speaking through Moses. He says, a prophet like unto you. And I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. It shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Should the high priest have remembered this portion of the mosaic law as well it was false to say that jesus was pretending to be god because he was and if they had delved a little bit deeper into the situation they would have realized that he his message his doctrine was not his own that he was not drawing people to himself but he was drawing people to god and his mission was confirmed by miracles beyond contradiction. And by their law, they ought to have listened to Jesus. But if they did not, they were to be cut off. We're going back in time. This is just before he was to be crucified, right? Let's have a look a little bit deeper. Scratch this a little bit deeper. 
it was very convenient for them to say, he is blaspheming and therefore he's guilty of death. And to pull into the old Mosaic law that he's done that. But did they have an opportunity to examine things a little bit more before? They were challenged by what Jesus said throughout his life. There wasn't just one priest. There were high priests every year. There was a different one every year. They sought to discredit Jesus with superficial references, with a lack of understanding, not willing to look any deeper. Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he said that I come down from heaven? Who is this Jesus? And the Jews marveled, saying, How knows this man letters, having never learned? Excuse me, which seminary did you go to? Jesus? Who was your mentor? We don't know him. How can you know the word of God? Hmm. Doesn't seem. The picture didn't seem right. There's two sides to this. The picture, the contrast, didn't seem right to them. But the picture wasn't right from his side to them either. On the day of the feast, Jesus cried out and he said, If any man thirst, come and drink. Many people, when he said, when they heard him saying this, said, Of a truth, this is the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Today we use words like uh, country, rule, remote. We sometimes use words socioeconomically, advantage, disadvantaged areas. Galilee was one of those. Galilee was not the city. Galilee was not the center. Galilee was where those people from Galilee, oh yeah. Pick a suburb, pick an area of town, and you go, oh, people from that area. But, interesting things. It says, Christ, has not the scripture said, Christ comes of the seed of David, and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? Look, out of Galilee arises no prophet. They're right. They're wrong. Because if they had scratched a little bit and they had the opportunity to, they would have known he actually comes from Bethlehem. Missed that part. They knew enough about him because it says, Jesus, when he's been questioned by them, he says to them, you do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. What are they saying? You, we know you. You're, illeg you're illegitimate. They knew enough uh, to know that. They took that superficial information, labeled him as that, and said, that's what you are. Did you know? <laughs> the next thing. Oh, that's a little bit further. Yes. Then together the chief priests and the Pharisees and council said, 
Ah, oh, yes, this is this. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus had died. And Lazarus was healed. Oh, healed. Rose back to life again. The Pharisees scratched their heads. We can't deny it. It's happened. It's a miracle. No one can deduce but God. How can we get rid of Jesus? Actually, I'm not sure if you noticed, it says, but the chief priest consulted that I might put Lazarus to death also. Because that by reason of him, many Jews went away and believed on Jesus. There's the proverb in in the sense of side by side, comparison, contrast. Not only did they want to get rid of Jesus because they didn't fit in with what they understood. They wanted to, Lazarus already died once. They wanted to get rid of him again because it didn't fit into their picture. What Jesus had done, what happened, his teaching, the contrast, didn't sit with them. As much as they knew the mosaic, I'm pointing this way because this is like the past, right? As much as they were reaching into the past for mosaic law and all the things that they knew that they were, didn't sit with them, but they didn't look any deeper, didn't delve any further, didn't look beyond the obvious. And the obvious was that there was something more to this. In fact, the high priest, what does it say here? The gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees and council said, what do we do? For this man does many miracles. This was before they got him at the end and said, you know, are you Christ or not? If we let him alone, all men will believe on him. Hang on. We're in Israel and we've got the Romans around us and we're subjected to the Romans. And if we cause a stir and if people believe on him, they'll believe that he's the king. And if he's the king, then the Romans will say, hang on, we're in charge here. So there'll be a problem for the country. So what does Caiaphas say? And Caiaphas says, who's the high priest, right? He's, he's, the, he's at the top. The high priest says, hmm, you don't know anything. You've got no idea, you people here. He, he just healed Lazarus. All these miracles had been done. And he says, consider this. It's better, we're better off that one man should die for the people. Then that the nation whole perish. And this he spake not himself, uh, but he prophesied how Jesus would die because they were afraid that the Romans would come and they, because they would have caused a stir. He was afraid of the consequences instead of dealing with what was truth. And if we are concerned about if we do the right thing and then what if and that, and this, what if I believe in him and what if I do, what if I stand for him? then I'm going to go through the fire. What if I believe for him? Then I might be hung on that gallows, Haman. What if I believe in him? Then I might go without food because they're taking it away. If I believe in him, I might go to the lion's den. If I follow his way, I'm not going to be looked after. These are the consequences. We do not look at the consequences. We look at what is the right thing to do. And this is what they missed. How does any of this matter? How do all these examples, 
just a few examples matter. There are many more we can take out, many more from the life of Jesus, lots of other people. Why does this matter? Why do we get into anything in the first place? Because we believe there's going to be some benefit at the end. Two words. Benefit realization. Mm, tricky word. It means that there is some, we realize the benefits for getting in, involved in something in the first place. We start a project. We start a course of study. Why would you go to university to do that? Because you believe at the end of it you will have some qualification. You will have a, a position or a job that you can that you'll be able to realize the benefit of that. Why do you collect all the ingredients and uh, put them all together and put them in the oven? Because you are looking to realize the benefits of putting the ingredients together and making a meal. Why does it matter? It matters because Jesus, word was with God and word was God. His word says it's true. His word is accurate. His word might challenge us. His word we may not immediately understand. Jesus said to Martha after he came in and Lazarus was dead. Before Lazarus was brought to life again, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He used that death example to demonstrate he can heal the he can raise the dead to life again, but much more than that, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. She said to him, I believe, Lord, you are the Christ, the Son of God, which came into the world. Somebody looked at the situation and looked a little deeper. And I was able to accept a little bit deeper than the learned Pharisees. Why does this matter? Because his word says, I am the Christ. I am the life. I am God. It matters to understand the difference because he is God. It also matters because, Paul says, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. What does it mean, neither are they all Israel which are all Israel? What does Israel, with reference to all this, mean? Chosen, select, God's people. He's chosen ones, the ones that he made all these laws for and he set aside as a special nation for him. They are not all Israel. So even though you are the nation of Israel, you are the chosen one, you are not. Why? As explained here, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. As he also said in Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. 
And it shall come to pass that in that place it, where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall ye be called the children of God. Uh, there shall be called children of God. What was it that made the Jews not Israel? Something was missing. Something was missing in their approach in their lives. When Paul traveled on his missionary journey, journeys, he went and sought out the various synagogues and the high priests and he spoke in those places. And he went to one place in Thessalonica and he lasted about two weeks and they got rid of him. They, he caused too much trouble. He's preaching the way of Jesus. He said, this is the sect of the Nazarenes. This is the reference to Jesus. They're trying to... The Nazarenes? Ooh, that's the... You know, we don't take much notice of them. So he went to a place called Berea. What does it say there? And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And searched the scriptures daily whether these things be so. Why does it matter? Because they had a readiness of mind to learn, to accept... What Jesus, or what Paul was saying about Jesus. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. We don't take things at face value, even though they might not sit right with us. They might uh, challenge us, provoke us, as it provoked the Jews as it provoked those that Stephen spoke to, as it provoked those that Jesus spoke to. Why does it matter? Because we can't rely on what others say. We can't go with all the city went and did this against Paul. Because we can't rely on others. And in fact, we can't even rely on ourselves. Because prophets tell us what does it tell us? I want to take a shortcut. I don't want to go through the, the figuring it out, the diligence, the, the readiness of mind, because my heart is deceitful. It is deceitfully wicked above all things, uh, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I can't even rely on my heart. Without faith... Without readiness of mind, without an effort, without spotting the difference, without delving into a little bit deeper, we have no part. You are not part of Israel. You are not part of that chosen one. Because if you don't believe that I am, you don't believe the word, and you don't deal, delve into it a little bit more, what does it say? And even you can't believe yourself. You are desperately wicked. You have no part. You're missing it. You are not Israel. You are not my chosen ones. In fact, we'll stop referring to Israel and we'll say, are we the ones that he wants us to be? He spoke to me and I heard and I listened. Will I continue to and will I delve into it? It's a little bit inconvenient. We read, Then shall you begin to say, Jesus telling those around him, We have eaten and drunken in your presence. And 
you have taught in our streets. But I will say to you, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all workers of iniquity. Seven sons of Siva. Jesus' name, cast out. Don't know what you're talking about. In your name we have preached. I don't know you. How can I not know you? There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. Not part of this. Why not? And they shall come from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south, and all kinds of others will be a part of the kingdom of God. And behold, they which are first shall be last, and they which are last shall be first. Why is that? Now we're getting to the core of it. Because of all the events that have happened, examples plenty, we are provoked. Provoke is an interesting word. It's referred to many times in the Bible. In some cases, it refers to it like enraged. Something unpleasant happened. Scorned, despised, falling out. But we can also be provoked to be encouraged and to be incited to do well. As the Jews were provoked when they heard, Paul is going to preach to the Gentiles. Ooh, going to preach to the Gentiles. They were provoked. Let's get rid of him. When they saw Jesus and heard his preaching, oh, this guy is a challenge to us. This is a threat to us. Let's get rid of him. This doesn't fit into our picture. Let's get rid of it. Whichever example it is, whether it's Daniel, whether it's Esther, whether it's Deborah, whoever, your own life. Is there something in our life where we have heard Hebrews tells us, Paul, oh, might not be Paul in Hebrews, but let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. The New International Version says it a little bit differently. And let us consider how we may spurn one another towards love and good deeds. How we can incite in a positive way to look into it a little bit more, how you can become the, the chosen, how you can be the accepted one, how you can be the one that is in the that has a part in the kingdom of God. You know, we hold our positions, viewpoints. We have a certain understanding. We might choose to accept it as it is, or to look into it a little bit deeper. The statements that we read about this morning, were challenging. They made people feel uncomfortable. And they wanted to remove that uncomfortable stuff. They wanted to get rid of that because it didn't fit in. It was an aberration. It was inconvenient, an inconvenient truth. Rather than examine themselves and possibly need to make an internal adjustment and say, actually... Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Actually, his miracles, his doctrine is not his. He's pointing towards God. In fact, we have other examples 
and this actually is all fitting together. In fact, you know, wasn't there a time when the king got killed all those two-year-olds in that whole area? Didn't the wise men come to Jerusalem and inquire of Herod? And wasn't all this recorded? Couldn't we have delved into this? They had enough information to go on. That's just one of them. There's plenty of other things. You know, they had scribes. What was the job of a scribe? Write things down to be recorded. Jesus and his family came to Jerusalem on more than every year. They had feasts and they came and Jesus learned the word and he had a, a, a learning and a teaching. Lots of examples where they could have delved into a little bit deeper. And so too, we in our lives. What is the understanding? What is the internal change in our thinking when we place them side by side when the contrast comes that needs to bring about a change of thinking in our lives you know if i don't look into it it doesn't affect me but then i become an accomplice i become an accessory to denying his work in my life and something is missing and i'm no longer part of him but on the other hand, if I look into it, it's going to take a little bit of effort. It's going to take a little bit of diligence. It's going to take a little bit of a Berea thinking, meaning a little bit of readiness of mind. That means that, and if I have done so, I might need to make an internal change, back to what we said before. Adjust. Change my position. And then I might need to adjust the course of my life and my thinking. What is it that is in your life that is spoken to you? A word, counsel, a song, advice, the still small voice, even the Lord, that is in your heart that you remember. What's the current situation that you're facing now? where you are being challenged or provoked, incited, this doesn't fit in, I've got to get rid of it. Where you may be tempted to suppress it, to deny it, but really you know there's a little bit to it and you should search it out and actually you should probably apply it to your life because there is a little bit more to it than the obvious, how we saw at the beginning. Not exactly how it seems. Is there a point, is there something in your life that you're trying to suppress, to deny? If there is, there's probably something to it. The Lord's speaking to, to you. Don't let that provocation, the positive one, the spurning to do good, the apparent contradiction to your heart, to your mind, thinking, oh, well, what, the consequence is not right and therefore it's going to be a problem. Don't let that steal you from spotting the difference, from delving a little deeper. Because if you do, sometime in the future you look back and you'll, you'll know, I should have. I should have allowed the Word of God, I should have allowed His Spirit to convince me. But we can do that. We can do that now. Allow the Holy Spirit to convince you. And 
when there's still small voice, when all the others are saying it's not right, when the situation might mean that the consequence isn't good, but it is the right thing, allow that to change you. You know, if we don't deal with wisdom and with conviction, if we would seek to wipe things away, then our heart has, con- has deceived us and that we are missing and we are no longer part of him. Let's have the readiness of mind to search things out because the word of God, is, uh, God is the word and he became flesh. Why does it matter? It matters because he's God, because what he says goes and we need to take a little effort to search it out. Senator, if you'd like to come to the piano, maybe we can just all stand.